this message was recorded at North 2009, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. It's good to be part of this community, isn't it, that loves and cares and stretches forth. Do you remember last night we were talking about the prophetic word that we felt God has given us for this conference, and that is this from Genesis 49. It says the prophecy that Jacob has over his favourite son, which actually is our favourite son, the Lord Jesus. He's a type of Christ. Joseph is just like Christ in many aspects. And Jacob has this amazing prophecy. Joseph, you're a fruitful vine. You're a fruitful vine. And your roots go deep into the stream. And your branches go right over the wall. And we saw yesterday how we are, as a people, in Christ. The vine is a picture of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the true vine. I am the full fulfilment of that prophecy. I am the vine. And we are the branches. We're in him. And we're secure in him. And he has called us for fruitfulness. And how do we get fruitful? We found out that we remain in him. We dwell in him. We enjoy being in Christ. And our husband, our Christ, our Lord Jesus, is a very fruitful husband. The law says, you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. You mustn't do that. But it doesn't give us any power to change. But Jesus changes us. He imparts life. He imparts love and joy and peace and change to our lives. And we looked at it was his word. If we remain in him and his word remains in us, then we'll be fruitful. Then we saw finally that actually there was this marrying, this fusion of word and spirit together. We mustn't say word, spirit, but actually the Word of God who is Christ and the Spirit of God are together in perfect unity in the Trinity. We saw that. That actually we are a people of the Spirit and our roots don't go down into emptiness. Our roots go deep down into the Spirit of God and we are learning, even this conference, aren't we, wonderfully, to draw up the Spirit, to welcome the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to be at home in us and so He produces life. Life is happening, supernatural life flowing through our veins, even as we've been here, healing after healing, hearing in the children's work, salvation after salvation. God's doing it amongst us. We're going to look at why Joseph, how was Joseph so successful in these circumstances? How could his, his branch go over the wall? Well, what are walls anyway? I think walls represent obstacles, circumstances, things that come against you, things that are in opposition to you, things that you hadn't encountered when you set off in life. And that happens to us individually. It also happens to us in churches. We set off down certain paths. We have green shoots. It's a sunny day. Everything seems good. And suddenly, our vine that is fruitful, that is planted by this stream of water which represents the Spirit, suddenly encounters a wall. 
suddenly encounters opposition. It suddenly encounters something. See, Joseph was not deterred by his circumstances. Are you? When you hit the wall, when you hit the opposition, when you hit that difficulty in your life right now, when you hit that health issue, when you hit that financial issue, when you hit that relational issue, what do you do? You say, oh, blow. I'll just retreat in. Joseph was not deterred by his circumstances. He had every reason to be. I mean, life was cruel to him. If you've ever thought it's life is miserable, life is rotten, everybody hates me, nobody loves me, I'm going down the garden to eat worms, why would you do that? If you thought that, I'm withdrawing, I'm just getting... No, Joseph had every reason to do that. Every reason in the book to do that. He was totally misunderstood by his family. I mean, he was rejected by them. Jealousy from his brothers. Misunderstanding even from his mum and dad, actually. And that resulted in this favouritism and it resulted actually in his brothers turning against him in jealousy, selling him into slavery. He gets betrayed all the way down the line, first of all, by his brothers. They betray him, his brother. They were going to kill him, and then they send, sell him into slavery. I guess that's like kind of second best. But then, if you remember the story, we haven't got time to look at it all tonight, but if you remember the story, not only is he sold into slavery, but then the slave house that he gets put in, he's then betrayed by his boss's wife. I mean, he's just set up by her, this Jezebelic woman, and betrayed again. This time, it's not in slavery, which actually probably wasn't so bad. Now, he's in an Egyptian jail. Really dreadful, really bad, real bad circumstances. But what happens there? He meets Butler, Baker. He's totally forgotten. Do you remember? The dreams. Totally forgotten. He had a word for them. The word came true. The cupbearer, the butler gets back into the palace. Surely he would have remembered Joseph. Surely he would have remembered him. Surely he would have said, oh, by the way, there's a guy in prison who has prophecy, who has dreams. He gets totally forgotten by him. Now, that might be you. See, you may have been betrayed. You may have been misunderstood. You may be right now forgotten. That person that you had a prophecy over, North 2004, I had a prophecy for them. Now they're leading a church and I'm not. I've been misunderstood. I've been betrayed. My employer has looked over me. Everyone else gets a promotion, but I don't. That circumstance has come into my life. My family. Do you know, I just feel like a slave. I feel like I, feel like I haven't got it. I feel I'm an adolescent. I feel I'm part of a hated race. See, Joseph came from a gypsy nomad race. I'm so delighted that David stood on this stage tonight and honoured asylum seekers in our nation. I'm so grateful that God is blessing our churches, giving homes 
and food and dignity to those that this world puts down. Joseph would be part of a hated race. How about you? What's your obstacle? What's your wall? What's coming to your life whereby you feel, I've just hit this obstacle? And yet, Joseph refuses to be bound by that. His branch goes over a wall and he fruits in every circumstance. He fruits in the family. Not very wisely, but he fruits in the family. He fruits in Potiphar's house, suddenly put in charge of everything. He fruits in the jail. And finally, he fruits in the nation. What is it about Joseph? How come he is not deterred and defined by his circumstances? I want to suggest three things why Joseph doesn't do that. Number one, Joseph was confident in God's sovereignty. He knew about the kingdom of God. You may not have known that actual phrase, but he knew there was a king who reigned. How do I know that? By the way he lives his life. I also know it by what he says at the end. When the brothers, if you remember the story, when the brothers come to him, and they're a bit sneaky really, they come to him and Jacob's dead or dying, and they say, our father just wanted you to let you really know that you really must forgive us. And Joseph's kind of moved by it and a bit sad in a way. And he said, don't you realise you meant this for evil. You meant bad. This was not good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God is sovereign. We do have a king who reigns. The kingdom of God is not a nice concept. It's not a political party. It's not a set of ideals. It's not just a new way of living. It's not a life improvement program. It's surrendering to a king who reigns on high. And he is not unnamed. He is not unapproachable. We are in him because he is King Jesus and the king comes and the king is ruling over your life, whether you realise it or not, actually. His purposes are being worked out. I'm amazed at biblical characters, how they can know and sense and write down the amazing sovereignty of God. David was able to say this, and David went through some stuff. It looks easy at first, Goliath, and then you look what happens after that. Persecution, trouble, difficulty, refugee, on the run, Hated, try and be killed by the king. Dreadful. David can write, My times are in your hands, O Lord. All my days. He just writes that. He knows every day. Not just the good days, not just the days when he was crowned king, not just the days when he sees Goliath and you come down and all that. No, every day. All my times are in your hands, O Lord. I love what Daniel writes and what's recorded in Daniel. Daniel 4.35 says this. This is amazing. Sometimes I don't think we read the whole Bible. The Most High does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold His hand back or say to Him, what have you done? Our God reigns. No one can say, what have you done? There is nothing that happens that is outside of His sovereignty and his control, and his will, and his purposes. He is working all things together for good, for those who love him, 
and are called according to his purpose. We later find out in Romans chapter 8. Ecclesiastes, you see, sometimes I think as Christians, we give the devil glory for some things we should actually give God glory for. And say, even though I'm going through this, even though I'm going through troubled times, do you know what? God is sovereign. God rules in my life. God reigns. He's working through all these circumstances. I don't understand it, but when was I ever supposed to understand it all? He's working through my life. This is what the writer to the... uh, This is what uh, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 7.4. When times are good, be happy. Kind of a good song there, isn't it? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. God has made it. God gives and God takes away. Let his name be praised. Isaiah 45 verse 7. I, the Lord, form the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. See, we don't have a God who gives good things and then a devil who does bad things and some days we're kind of caught in this fight. Some days, I mean the good days. Good days, God. Good days, God. Oh, it's a bad day, devil, devil. Bad day, devil. And somehow we're torn in this fight. No, do you know what? God is sovereign. And he's working. I'm not saying he creates these things necessarily. Please hear what I am saying, what I'm not saying. I'm saying in his sovereignty, he allows these things for good. And Joseph could see that. He could see through his life, God has allowed it. Now, can you see that? Can you see it in your life? Or you say, those elders, that wife, those kids, that employer, that prime minister. That Bank of Scotland. (laughs) Can you say, no, actually, all my days are ordained by him. Can you say, my times are in his hand. Can you say, you meant it for evil. There is one who means it for evil. But God meant it for good. We must not be surprised if we hit the wall of resistance. We must not be surprised if the knife of the Father cuts into our life. Jesus, in his magnificent discourse in John 14, 15, 16 through to 17, he says, my Father is the gardener. It's a lovely image, isn't it? You sit in your nice country garden. My Father is the gardener. And he says, he gets a great big knife and he cuts into you. (laughs) He disciplines you. My Father is the gardener. Every branch that bears fruit He prunes it back. You think, he pruned the branches that didn't bear fruit. Listen, I'm a good branch. I'm a fruitful branch. Don't prune me. No, he prunes us back that we might bear more fruit for him. This is never a blade of anger or a a cut of condemnation. This is a loving father working all circumstances in our life together for his glory and our good. He's the only one who can do that, who can do it for his glory and for our good. That thing you're going through right now is for his glory and for your good. That was Joseph's experience. Now, in case you think that means that we somehow accept every negative thing that comes into our life in some kind of fatalism, in some kind of 
doctrine which owes more to Doris Day than it does to the living God. You know, K-sera, sera, whatever may be, may be. Just, I know I'm older than I look. Some of you knew that song. Whatever may be, may be. Just let it happen. It's the will of God. I'll let it happen. Just, it, and, and that produces a, a fatalism. It produces a passivity in us. It produces something in us which it's not supposed to do. Do you know what? Circumstances and difficulties in Joseph produced strength. It actually made him, it forced his roots down deep into the spirit and it caused his branch to climb up a wall. See, walls are there to be climbed. Walls are there to be gotten over. The psalmist says this, with my God I scale a wall. Not, I give up. Oh, a wall. No. It's the very, the very wall that's there is supposed to produce in you new growth, new life, new faith, that actually causes you to scale it and grow upon it. Now, you can't see this, but my friend at the back there, I'm just trying to work them out. They, they are very different, actually. But my friend who's on the camera is Glenn. Glenn, why don't you just stand up? You're Glenn there. See, Glenn. <laughs> Glenn is a chunky monkey. <laughs> I'm so glad we're all this piece away. I prayed for Glenn once, and I, I, I laid my hands and I thought, this is a man of steel. I mean, he plays rugby in Northern Ireland, and his arms are thicker than my legs. I mean, he, that sweatshirt is not baggy. He, he, this is true, isn't it, Kenny? This is, this is a stocky, muscular guy. Now, he does not get like that by just sitting at home. You can sit down, by the way, my friend. He does not get, he does not, he's very obedient, isn't he? He does not get like that by sitting at home, drinking his beer and eating his crisps. He gets, well, he does now, apparently. <laughs> Should see the size of his wife. No. <laughs> I will explain. Emma's having a baby. It's the only time you're allowed to say that sort of thing, isn't it? And, and almost get away with it. Not quite. Sorry, Emma. I do love you. I love the fact we can edit tapes and CDs and downloads. But Glenn has got like that, not by sitting at home doing nothing. He's actually got by that, like that by doing exercise. And actually, what an athlete does, or a bodybuilder does, is when they have resistance, they push it away. You have a weight, and you go, oh, that's hard. You push it away, and that's how you get muscle. How are we going to get spiritual muscle? How is God going to make us from wimps into spiritually strong, fit, fighting, faith-filled men and women? Do you know how he does it? He gives us opposition. Not to battle us and to beat us, but so that we might push it away so that we might gain strength, so that we might grow. The very thing that you think is from the enemy, and perhaps it has come from the enemy, but God's allowed it for you. Push it away and get strong in God. That's what happened to Joseph every time he rose above it. He didn't let bitterness and disappointment rob him of God's blessing. He kept believing in the sovereignty of God. 
Number two, he did not lose hope in his spiritual gifting. He did not lose hope in his spiritual gifting. Do you remember when the butler and the baker come to him? And they say, we've had a dream. Dreams? Let me tell you about dreams. It was flipping dreams that got me here in the first place. I tell you what to do about dreams. Keep quiet about them. Don't tell your brothers. Don't tell anyone in the prison. Keep quiet. No, he doesn't. He goes, oh, spiritual gift. Antennas are, oh, wow. Dream. I know a thing about dreams. Let me interpret your dream. He's sharp. He has not given up on the prophetic. He has not given up on the supernatural. He graciously interprets it. And in the end, it's that very thing that gets him noticed, even by Pharaoh. Pharaoh says this amazing thing in Genesis 41, 38. Can we find anyone like this man on whom is the Spirit of God? That's an amazing thing for a pagan king to say. It's the very thing that Pharaoh notices about Joseph. And God uses the story. It's full of spiritual gifts. It's full of spiritual gifts opening prisons up and closing the doors of prisons and opening them up. It's amazing what happens in spiritual gifts. It's amazing what happens in this story. And right now, I would say this, and I'm probably going to get into trouble. I'm going to get into trouble with you, Emma, anyway, so I might as well get into trouble with anyone else. There's a battle going on at the moment for the use of spiritual gifts. Now, I am astounded by that, because 30 years ago, When I came out of the Methodist church, there was a battle going on for spiritual gifts. We were told in our Methodist church, don't operate those gifts. We don't want those in the meeting. We don't want those things. And we fought against that. And some of us came out of that and got into glorious freedom so we could operate spiritual gifts. So we could sing in the Spirit. So we could prophesy. So we could lay hands on the sick and see these wonderful things happening. And God freed us from that. But right now there's another battle. I didn't think we'd ever see it again in our lifetime. I'm amazed that we see this battle again for spiritual gifts in the meetings. Now, I'm not particularly preaching into this or commenting in this. I'll get into trouble, but boy, did I want to get it off my chest. Because I passionately believe that the gifts of the Spirit are there, not just for us. See, this is the argument goes like this. You dial down the gifts of the Spirit so that the unbelievers feel much more comfortable. Of course they feel much more comfortable. But actually, it's when spiritual gifts operate properly, not nuttily or stupidly or without explanation, but when spiritual gifts operate properly in a right context, it says, the Bible says, unbelievers fall down and say, God's in here. I can tell you, I won't tell you tonight because I'm not preaching on this, I can tell you story after story after story in Jubilee Church, on our Alpha courses, on our Sunday mornings, as we gather, as we freely use spiritual gifts, people say, don't use it on Alpha. Why not? They're gifts of the Spirit. I thought it was the Spirit who was the great evangelist. I thought it was the Spirit who's the one who brings them to Jesus. Why should we say, we'll have that bit of you, Spirit, and not that bit of you? No, he uses them. Spiritual. Now, we have to do it sensitively. We must do it sensitively. We must do it orderly. We must do it with explanation. But it's the very gifts themselves that actually lead people ultimately to Christ. Now, that's not what I wanted to say. (laughs) But I feel a lot better for saying it. Actually, when you look into the Bible, 
you'll find that gifts of the Spirit are in evidence in meetings, but they're more in evidence on the street. They're more in evidence in life. And we've got to see a restoration of spiritual gifts in life. And actually, those of us that celebrate our spiritual gifts in our meetings are actually just as in danger of boxing in the Spirit and saying, we have tongues, we have prophecy, we have healing in our little meetings and occasionally we'll invite the non-Christians to come in and we box it all in. Actually, it's not supposed to be like that. The Spirit is supposed to fill our meetings. Of course, flood us with gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, tongues, healing, words of knowledge, setting people free from demonic influence. Of course. Why? So that we might go out to the streets. So that we might be, so that we might be equipped for life. This is all about supernatural life. Supernatural life flooding through our veins, flowing through who we are as people in order that we might live an empowered Christian life. That's what it's all about. That's what it's for. And I find that's what Jesus did. It was a woman at a well. Very inappropriate. We teach people in ministry teams not to do that. Don't pray for a woman alone. Don't bring a spiritual... Jesus, you're breaking my rules. They're guidelines for safety, you understand? (laughs) Oh boy, did I get in trouble about the swine flu thing yesterday. Peter and John go to pray. As my old Sunday school song went, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his arms and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, at the best, we'd have bought the big issue. At the best. At the best. That's what we'd have done. Or, if we were feeling really spiritual, we might invite him to a healing meeting. Come to a meeting. That's what I do. That's what I've done in the past. I'm not shaming you. I'm shaming myself in this. But actually, to line ourselves up and say we want to be New Testament doesn't just mean we have nice New Testament meetings. It means we live New Testament lifestyles. It means that we are a people who operate in this way. We operate the gifts of the Spirit. Joseph used these gifts in the family. In the family. Are you using spiritual gifts in the family? He used them. Perhaps not very wisely, but he used them in the family. He used them in the prison. And he used them in the palace, Philippa. He used them in the palace. He used spiritual gifts. I was so delighted to be spending some time with Tony's church recently, Gateway in Leeds, and just coming across various ones of their leadership team and just seeing their passion for spiritual gifts in life. Let me just read to you what one of them emailed me. I asked them to email me. First of all, this is from uh, Chris Frost. He said that uh, recently he's been praying and God gave him three words. Telephone booth, brown and helmet. You think, are they words of knowledge? He was out and he met a man called Nathan near a telephone booth outside a brown cafe and a statue with a helmet on it. This guy had sprained his right wrist. Nathan was healed on the spot. 
and came close to giving his life to Christ. Now, it would be nice if this led and he gave his life to Jesus. It doesn't yet. But as Chris keeps doing that, as Chris keeps looking for God's treasure, as he keeps looking for God's signs, as he keeps looking for what God wants to do, more and more we'll see. This is from my friend Emily Priestley. Emily writes this. I was coming home from a holiday from Morocco. Now, I'm grumpy when I'm coming home from holiday. I'm happy when I'm going out. I'm grumpy when I'm coming home. And she said this. I was sitting next to a Polish lady called Anna who was deep into a book. We hadn't even said hello or anything like that. And I felt God begin to show me some things about her. All I'd be thinking is, is there a film? Or what's on the, what's on the tea train menu coming round? No. Emily's saying... God, what have you got for this woman? And I felt God began to show me some things about her. She goes on several things. I felt the Lord gave me some specifics about her having a new job that would allow her to be more creative and fulfill her more than the job she's currently doing. The final thing was I felt God said that she, he wanted to know that she wanted to move and that he was going to give her a new home. I wrote these words down and waited for an opportunity to tell her. I eventually took the plunge and we started chatting and God very kindly gave me a hand whilst chatting to Anna. Anna commented that I was reading a very interesting book. She pointed out the title was How to Live a Supernatural Lifestyle. I mean, that's good for a start. I'm reading John Grisham. (laughs) She asked, was it dodgy supernatural things? Good question. I was able to explain to her about God doing amazing miracles and how Jesus is still alive and doing them today. I explained to her how much God loved her and how he could be her and how God could be her heavenly father. I decided at this point to ask if I could share a few things with her that I felt God had spoken to me before we started chatting. She agreed, so I pulled out the piece of paper to show her the things that I'd written down that God had shown me. She just continued to look shocked and kept saying, Wow. It turned out that she was stuck in a call centre job and hated it and that her boyfriend and her wanted to move house. So there was a word of knowledge about her changing job and about her having a new house. She thanked me for sharing these things and seemed to want the conversation to go on. Now, that's, that's where it kind of finishes. That story is yet unwritten. Let me just play to you a clip of a story that did come to a good end. I found this recently on the internet. It's about a young man called Chad, and I'll just set up the story while you guys are lining up this clip to play. Chad is a student. Some of you may have seen this clip. He's going at night for what he calls his fifth meal. I mean, he's American, you have to understand that. He said, as... (laughs) He's a student, you have to understand that. (laughs) He's, go- <laughs> he, he's, go- <laughs> he's, going, he's going to the supermarket to buy his pizza and suddenly God starts breaking in. Listen to this. Well, uh, one night when I uh, was living in Reading, I got off work, working at a restaurant, and like any other 23-year-old, I have a fifth meal and about 10.30 at night, and I uh, went over to a grocery store to go get some donuts. And I was walking in, um, I was passing by the cash register, and this lady was paying for her groceries, and I saw that she had hearing aids, and I thought, it's always a green light when you see crutches, people in wheelchairs, hearing aids, 
just go up and ask if you pray for him. So I approach the lady, ask her, hey, can I pray for you really quick? And she's like, oh, that would be nice. And then she starts leaving. I'm like, no, 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 like right now, can I pray for you? And she's like, okay, why not? And I say, hey, why don't you just take out your hearing aids so we can see if God does anything. We'll know, we can see a difference right away. And so she takes out her hearing aids. We begin to pray for her. And the cash register girl, the cashier lady, she's watching the whole thing, you know, unfold. And uh, we begin to pray for her. And I said, okay, I'm going to take a couple steps back. You just repeat after me if you can hear me. And so, you know, she's, you know, facing the other direction, and I'm taking steps back, like, hello, my name's Chad, my favorite food's pizza and donuts. And she's repeating this until I get about 25 feet away, and she realizes that she has full hearing. She actually has better hearing than the cashier has. And the cashier is, like, in her late, you know, teens, early 20s. And so she starts crying because her ears opened up. She was 90% deaf in one ear, 80% deaf in the other. And the cashier lady is crying as well. And suddenly, right when that happens, I just feel this wind on the back of my neck. And I get downloaded with all these words of knowledge of what God wants to do in the grocery store. And, you know, I didn't have this. I was just going in there hungry. I didn't have this before. And so I go to the cashier and I say, this is totally God. This isn't me. I mean, God just totally, you know, opened this girl's ears. But God wants to do more in this grocery store. Is it all right if I get on the intercom and just share, you know, and and, uh, call out some words of knowledge? And she's all, yeah. So she shows me how to use it. I say, attention all shoppers. You know, God is in the building. And uh, and I begin to just tell what God's doing. And I had the lady that got healed, she shared uh, what happened to her. And so I just started calling out words of knowledge, said, come to check out 10. Uh, people started gathering around, about 20, 25 people. And it was amazing. And this one lady came with a motorized car and said, do you think God could really heal me? I said, of course God can heal you. He's the healer. So I began to just just explain a little bit about the gospel, about healing, signs and wonders. And then I had the lady that just got healed from her uh, ears pray with me. And I said, this is, you know, Matthew 10, 7 and 8. You know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The, the sick get healed. The dead get raised. Freely received, and freely give. And it was her time to, to give away the kingdom when she just received it earlier. So we began to pray uh, together, and she, I asked the lady in the motorized cart, she uh, was getting prayer for her hip. She is going in for hip replacement surgery. And she moves her hip a little bit, and she goes, <gasps> and I was thinking, oh, my gosh, like, is she in pain? And, I, and that's what I'm thinking in my head, and I asked her, what's going on? And she's like, that used to hurt before. And I said, okay, well, try to do something else. So she gets up. She begins to walk and then go into this little jog. She begins to scream out, Jesus has just healed me. Jesus just healed me. The whole place goes crazy. They all start, like, you know, hooting and hollering. I mean, this isn't like a church. This is a checkout aisle 10. And this guy in the back starts pushing people. And I'm thinking this guy is coming to, like, beat me up. He has a problem with this. I don't know. So he, And he's shaking his, like, fist at me. And he gets up to me, and I'm, like, getting ready to defend myself. And he says, my, my wrist, I have carpal tunnel in my wrist. I've had it for two years. Will you please pray for me? And I said, of course. And I said, you know, while I'm praying for you, why don't you just move it around just to see if something, you know, shifts or changes. He's moving around. He goes, oh, my gosh, they're on fire. They're on fire. I'm like, well, that's good. They're, you know, heat's a good thing. And so he's like, oh, my gosh, there's no more pain. He starts crying. And he begins to explain to me that he plays the piano, he teaches, and he performs, and that's how he makes his money. And he's been in total pain doing this. And now they don't hurt anymore. And he was coming into the grocery store tonight saying, wouldn't it be great if all the pain in my wrist left today? And so I decided, hey, you know, the the kingdom just showed up. It would be a good idea to introduce the king. And so I just told everybody, you know, Jesus didn't just die on the cross for these people to get healed, but to have a personal relationship with, with you. 
and that you could uh, be best friends with the creator of the universe. And just gave a real simple gospel message, and I said, who wants that? Who wants to be best friends with the creator of the universe? And people's hands just came up, and I just led them to the Lord, prayed for them, and I walked out on cloud nine for getting my donuts. But it was a fun <laughs> night. That's life. That's life in the spirit. Now, how do we get from where we are to there? I'll tell you how we do it. Like Emily on a plane, saying, God, have you got a word for this person next to me? Like Chris Frost, who goes out on the street saying, God, give me some words of knowledge. That's how we do it. We daily walk this walk. And God wants to turn us. He wants to do it. I love what Julian prophesied here have to be careful about rivers flowing south and all that but I love what Julian prophesied here about this the kingdom invading coming down upon us and there being a new definition boundaries going things being changed and one of the ways God wants to do that is our experience of the supernatural that we are primarily a people of a different spirit we're a people who very life force very That which flows through our veins is the supernatural resurrection life of our Lord Jesus. And these are not extraordinary things. These should become and will become for us. I prophesy these will become natural and normal things for us. Ten years ago, it was unusual for us to be seeing numbers of people saved on Alpha. Now, it's unusual if they're not saved on Alpha. It's true. A few years ago, it was extraordinary if we got a few miracles like we did tonight. Now, it's becoming normal. Now, that's in the church. He's training us and equipping us in the church. Remember David said, the church is the vehicle for the kingdom. We've just got in the car. We've just got in. Why? So we can sit on the drive. So we can go to the end of the drive and back, back in and out of the garage. We had a nice trip today. No, go somewhere. To go to the world. The The Spirit of God fills us and propels us into the world with these spiritual gifts. The third point, okay, just to remind you of the points. Number one, Joseph was confident in God's sovereignty. Number two, Joseph did not lose hope in spiritual gifting. Number three, Joseph brought transformation. He brought transformation where he was. You see, some of you are sitting here tonight thinking, well, that's America. Does it all happen in America? Or, if, if, if I was in Westminster, then I'd do all that. Well, Philippa didn't start in Westminster. Philippa started peeling potatoes in the houses that David and her, David and she ran in Bedford. Very unglamorous. Didn't start working for famous politicians and influencing the rich and famous. Started actually with drunks, alcoholics, smelly people off the streets. We've got to start where we are. We've got to start ministering where we are. We've got to start doing things where we are. Joseph, see, Jesus said this, let your light shine before men, that they might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Now, Joseph learnt, at first, he wasn't very wise. At very first, I've referenced this two or three times, do you remember the story? Very first, gets his first prophecy, gathers his brothers together, his, his 11 brothers, and says, guess what? In my prophecy, I've got a prophecy for you. got a prophecy from God. I saw 11 sheaths of wheat bowing down to the one. 
U11. I wonder what the interpretation of that might mean. Eleven sheaves bowing down. I, I, why don't you pray about it? I've got another one. This time, I saw stars bowing down. And actually, not just eleven stars, eleven brothers, but, but a sun and a moon, mum and dad. I wonder. They were all bowing down. They were all bowing down. And, and please pray about it. I don't know what it might mean. Not very wise. Got him into all sorts of trouble. But later, Joseph learns. Later, he learns in obscurity. He learns to rise through Potiphar's household. How does he do that? By letting his good works, his good deeds be seen. Very small at first, keeping good accounts, being godly. Suddenly the big challenge comes. The boss's wife offers him shortcuts to promotion. Nobody's looking, but he knows the king's looking and he runs and wins the battle and gets imprisoned. Starts all over again, works his way through to be in charge of the whole prison. How do you get that? You get that by integrity and letting your light shine before men, by godly actions, by living for Christ day by day by day. That's what happens to Joseph. It's his story. It happened over 14 years. It didn't happen in an instant. I'm amazed how he notices the butler and baker. How does he... I mean, they don't actually come to him and say, we've had a dream. What happens is this. One day at breakfast in the prison my interpretation, but one day at breakfast in the prison, he says to them, why are you looking so sad? I mean, it's a prison. It's not a holiday camp. It's not an easy place. It's a weird question. Why are you looking so sad? Why? Because he's got perception, he's got spiritual, and he's got love for people. And he notes, and it suddenly opens up. I said, well, I'll tell you why we're both looking so sad. We've had this dream we don't understand. And suddenly the whole thing opens up. Notice the humility that he has. See, the humility he has, even at the end, the humility he has, when Pharaoh asks for him, when the butler suddenly remembers, the humility he has in it. He's full of grace. He doesn't say, well, this has been a long time coming. Here I am at last. Been waiting for this. No, there's huge humility. He says, even after he's interpreted the dreams and Pharaoh's jaw has dropped, He interprets it and then he says to Pharaoh, now let Pharaoh look for a wise and discerning man and put him in charge of Egypt. That wasn't self-promotion at that stage. That's that's the application of a godly word. It's a godly lifestyle being lived out. If we're going to change the society, if we're going to transform, if we're going to bring God's revival power, it's done day by day in family, in offices, in school gates, in classrooms, in your street, what you watch, what you listen to, what you say, how you comment, do you notice, do you pray, do you lay hands, do you... It's little tiny actions, one by one by one. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another, I mean, extending love and mercy. We had a lady called Val who came to our Alpha course. She came and she only came to the Alpha course to show what a bunch of charlatans we were because her daughter got saved on the previous one. I mean, she told us that later. <laughs> it didn't start like that. 
she came, and her story is this. I came to suss you lot out. I was hit by a wall of love. Firstly, your love, then God's love. How do people experience the love of God? They experience it through us. She became a Christian, led her husband to the Lord. He became a Christian on the next alpha. Now, those stories are happening. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. started in the small, but it ended in the big. Now, God's going to do that with many of us. He did it with Philippa. She's a prophetic example. That's why I asked her to share tonight specifically. Started in the small, ends in the big. And God wants to do that with many of us. This is God's promotion principle, Matthew 25, 23. Well done. You've been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of much. Start small, in charge of much. And God's going to do that with many people. I love what David preached this morning. Jesus' favourite message was the kingdom of God. He preached it 82 times, it's mentioned in the Gospels. He mentioned church twice. But 82 times he mentions the kingdom has come amongst you. And God wants his kingdom rule and reign expressed right here, right now on planet Earth. Not in a future age. Actually in this age. In fact, that age is invading this age. It's coming to Earth. We're believing for a new heavens and a new Earth. Like David said, we're not going to go to heaven one day, we're going to go to earth one day. We're going to stay on earth one day, renewed earth, redeemed bodies. But it starts now. And God is wanting us to influence. I believe Joseph, as I finish, is a prophetic picture of the church in the 21st century. We've been hidden away. We've been forgotten and overlooked. It even feels like we've been imprisoned. But we have been worked upon by God's sovereignty. He has been causing faith to arise in our hearts and our spirits. He's causing the muscles within us to believe him for the supernatural and to believe him to see people saved and delivered and set free. And He's causing muscle to come on us. And finally, we're going to emerge into positions of authority. Now that might be great positions of authority, as Philippa was talking about, influencing whole... I mean, her vision isn't just to influence this generation. Did you hear that? I've never heard her say that before. Her, her vision is to enshrine in law, in parliamentary law, God's principles and truths so that other generations might benefit from it. It's not even for this generation. It's a huge, big plan. Or it might just start with the lady with the ginger hair, I think it's ginger hair, who said she'd been healed of her vertebrae, her neck, who I happen to know is influencing education in Middlesbrough. Unseen, unsung, not many people know what Sue and John are doing in Hope Foundation. Hidden away and yet changing life after life after life. What is it for you? Where has God called you to be faithful? Where has he called you to be a man or a woman filled with the Spirit, living out a supernatural life and influencing society? Where is it? Tonight, there's going to be two responses to this word. I'd like the band to come up. There's going to be two responses. Firstly, I want to pray for those of you who feel you've hit your wall. Those of you who just feel, I've hit it. It's just impenetrable. I feel in prison. 
I feel betrayed. I feel lied to. I feel pushed in. I feel restricted. And we want to pray for you that you have a revelation tonight of the sovereignty of God. That you know that God is sovereign. That you know that God is with you. That you know that God is working out all things for His good glory and your good. We're going to pray for you. And you're going to get, not necessarily set free from your wall, but He's going to give you the ability to climb a wall. Do you know what? If you let grapes run nicely along the ground, when the fruit comes, they rot. If you allow them to be supported and climb up a wall... They produce beautiful clusters of grapes. God wants beautiful clusters of grapes. And if you're going to come forward tonight and say, I want to scale my wall. With my God, I can climb this wall. God's with me. And you're going to come and you're going to say, with faith, I've had enough of being daunted by this wall. I've had enough of Goliath's opposition. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine coming against me off with his head? And you're going to stand and say, come on then, let's climb this wall. There's one set of people. There's another set of people here tonight. You know that God has called you for influence. You know that it's about rediscovering your spiritual gift and using that spiritual gift in your community, in life. And you're going to respond as well. You're going to say as you come forward, God, whether it's peeling potatoes in Bedford all my life, or whether it's standing for Sutton and Cheam as the prospective parliamentary candidate for the next election, influencing social policy in government and opposition, whatever it's for, big, small, I'm up for it. God, use me. I might start like an Emily Priestley, just a bit nervous on a plane, sharing a few stories, but actually I want to be like Chad Deadman. I want to be used of God, powerfully, supernaturally. I want to change healthcare. I want to change education. I want to be used by God. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a song, and then afterwards we're going to respond to these two things. Julian's going to bring some more words as well. And we'll direct things. Let's sing.